Alright guys, welcome to another episode of the Magnus and Marcus uh, show. This one's kind of special because uh, me and John are sitting outside of a coffee shop in Austin. Yeah, first time ever live and together when recording this. So, coming to you live from Pipe Path Coffee here in Austin, Texas. They have the New Orleans iced coffee. Delicious, and that's what we're hyped up on. So hopefully we'll bring you some engaging content today. Definitely, definitely good stuff. And if you're in Austin, check it out. Um, so, if you hear background noise or music, that's what it is too. So, sorry about that. But, so John, let's, uh, let's get started. I think uh, the topic is advice for a young coach. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, Steve and I were having a little dialogue earlier before we flipped on the microphone. And, you know, we were saying, what would we tell ourselves 10 years ago when we first got out of college and said, man, I want to really get into coaching. So I know a lot of guys and gals out there, you know, you have a good running career, you know, you run at a college, you know, and you're like, man, I just love this so much and I want to continue in this profession and continue this in career path. How do I make it? You know, is it like a typical business where you apply, apply your job, apply your job, hope you hear back and get an interview? I mean, what does that career path look like in terms of making it? And Steve and I are here to burst your bubble and say <laughs> that definitely is not the case at all. You can apply all you want online, you can apply all you want for a job opening, you can submit all the resumes in the world you'd like, but it's not really going to get you that far in this profession. It really comes down to relationships and I think Steve has a really interesting path into the coaching ranks as do I, um, but you know, we'll kind of give our, our own path and how we got where we got and hopefully give you guys some inspiration about how to keep your, your hustle strong, so to speak. All right, so I guess we'll start out. I'll, get, I'll give you my path to coaching, and then you give yours, and then we'll talk about some of the, the misnomers yes. uh, about it. Yes, sounds good. Um, so I guess I'll start with uh, my random path. Well, my failings as an athlete began my, my coaching experience, probably not unlike anybody. And I actually... Uh, where did I start? Well, when I was in college and starting to suck as a runner and just ah, having difficulty with my own running and needing some sort of outlet, I started coaching high school kids. So I just volunteer coached uh, actually my old high school for probably two or three years while I was finishing up my my degree. And it, it was it was the best thing at that time because it helped me understand how to develop kids. Because I was taking kids who didn't have much experience and trying to trying to get them get them uh, get them going. So did that for a couple years. Actually, did that long distance for a year while I was in grad school. I wrote all the training programs for my old high school kids after being there for a couple years. And then my uh, <laughs> was in grad school at George Mason for two years. Not sure what to do with my life. Just started blogging about my coaching and my experience running and some crazy ideas I had. And through that blog is how I actually got my job at Nike. So, which doesn't doesn't make much sense because no. as, especially at that point, because yeah. I, I don't think I had many people reading it, but uh, somehow, somehow uh, important people came across it and noticed it and called me up after it and was like hey these are some really good ideas would you uh consider moving out to oregon and i was like yep i don't know what else i'm going to do with my life so there you go 
Um, so it was, it, and that was my first actually real paying job ever. Really? Wow. Yeah. Oh. So I was one of those athletes who, thank God I ran fast, so my parents didn't make me get a job and scholarship took right. I was very blessed to get a nice scholarship and didn't have to work in college, so. Mazel There you go. Yeah, <laughs> it was my first actual job ever. Um, but, it, you know, it's funny because it taught me a lot because at that point I was like, I was obsessed. I had a lot of success coaching high school kids. We had state champs. We had well, team just mixed, missed an XN, had a kid get 10th or 11th in XN. And I, I thought that was how you did it. Right. Yeah. I, I thought, oh, man, I'm going to show people I can coach. Yeah. And people are going to take notice of what I'm doing. And then someone will do that. But mm -hmm. instead, it was ramblings on a blog yeah. that got me my intro. Mm -hmm. Um. So that was a really, really good lesson. And then I guess to segue fast forward is after two years out in Oregon, you know, and changing stuff up, it was, it was very similar. I thought like, all right, I have this on my resume. Like this is my key to get any job right. I want. Yeah. But instead, like most things, my, my, my relationships are the, mm. the things that got me job. I mean, the job offers I got, um, as I was leaving Oregon, were straight through relationships. They were through people I'd, well, the one I ended up with, my alma mater, who had, knew, had a very strong relationship with every coach on the, on the staff, obviously. And then the other job offers I got were through, uh, through connections I made through coaching athletes and other things. It wasn't, wasn't because I submitted, uh, you know, a thousand resumes and, uh, and, uh, got the call back because my resume looked awesome and I'd coached, you know, X, Y, and Z athlete to some world championship thing. Yeah. Um, so that's how I ended up in Houston. It was just connections on, uh, on getting there. And then I guess to segue into the, to give my whole story is I, I don't know, I coached maybe nine, eight or nine or 10 or something like that, post-collegiate athletes. And as we were talking about earlier is I didn't recruit a single one of them. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, I remember my first post-collegiate athlete ever coach or ever started coaching was Tommy Schmitz. <laughs> and that guy, by the way. <laughs> I love Tommy. Who's got a, quite a bit of a reputation as a yes. crazy crazy kid in the world of running. Yes. Well-deserved reputation. Yeah, well-deserved. One, one of the most jovial eccentrics I've ever met. Yes, yes. Good, good kid. Yes. Um, but uh, and he's that, our age, by the way. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he's he's, he's kids, our age. He's our yeah, he's our age. But he's he's still a kid. He'll always be a kid to me. Yeah. Um, but he he came up to me in Europe when I was over there with uh, with Moses Joseph and grad my last year in grad school, and he was like, "Hey, you're Steve." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "I read your blog. What do you think about coaching me sometime?" I'm like, "Okay, like this is cool." So it was just like. And then after that, my first big name individual post collegiate was Sarah Hall, and that was the same thing. Where she just gave me a call up out of the blue, and she's like, "Hey, this is Sarah Hall," and I, and you know, Sarah's uh, when I was in high school, she was uh, a year older or two, and she was the Footlocker champ. So yeah. you know, when you're young and getting in, you're like, "Oh, like Sarah Hall, Footlocker champ," and in my head, I'm like, uh, "Like I think I reverted back to like 16 year old me." I'm like. Yeah. Sarah Hall's <laughs> calling me. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. I feel good about myself. 
but it was like straight through connections. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I talked to this person. I'm looking for, you know, a coaching change, and this person recommended you, and you know, and that's how it's been with every single other athlete. It's it, it's been a, a random email, and it's uh, uh, you know a random connection that happens. It's not it's not me recruiting, or it's not me saying like, oh, you know, I just got this. I just got Sarah to get you know twentieth at World Cross Country. Now all these people are gonna, right. yeah. you know. Or the shoe company's gonna do this. No, it's just it's just word of mouth. Right. Yeah, and that's I mean at the end of the day it's I think that's sometimes a misconception with the young coaches. I go in, I gotta prove the world that I know what I'm doing and you go do that, that's a good thing because you you do need to kinda earn your keep so to speak and show you can develop people and manage athletes and get them to perform at a high level, but the reality is a lot of people can do that and a lot of people can do that really well. I mean Coaching is like teaching. Think about how many teachers exist in just America alone. You think, I mean, elementary school, middle school, high school, university. Think of all those schools, it's the same thing. Every one of those schools has a coach, and then you have all these post-collegiate coaches and club coaches and so on and so forth. So there's a, even though the fraternity and sorority of coaching in track and field athletics is very small, it's also very, very big as well. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting to hear, you know, Steve saying, okay, well, he got started at high school level, so did I. I got my start at the high school at my alma mater. I went back and uh, I coached at my alma mater after I graduated college and trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. Uh, and I actually was the volu- a volunteer cross-country coach and basically ran workouts with the guys on the team and kind of gave some input every now and again to my high school coach about, eh, what do you think we should do this, do that? But he, you know, I was more of that kind of, liaison of being a younger guy who was still training at a high level as more of a mentor type coach rather than solely riding all the workouts. And actually began in track being the sprints, hurdles, jumps <laughs> coach. So I coached basically everything from 800 meters and down and if you jumped over it, I was your coach. Pole vault, high jump, you name it. So, <laughs> you know, hurdles. Which, you know, I had no background in but it forced me to learn those events very, very quickly. It forced me to get outside my comfort zone. Okay, I'm a distance guy. How do I, you know, how do I understand this? This applications of speed, power, the applications of technique and posture, which isn't really something we talk a lot about in the endurance community. Um, and then from there, I actually became, I actually stepped away from, uh, you know, coaching cross country in high school and became the head women's soccer coach at my high school because I have a soccer background. So here I was assistant track coach and head women's soccer coach because at the time those were opportunities that allowed me at least a somewhat viable income living a very simple life Um, and from that it was essentially relationships talking to people and coaches in the area who recruited me I started off at like a little NAI school just down the street from our high school and NAI rules so you can coach high school and college simultaneously and the one of my early mentors, Dave Lee, he just tapped me on the shoulder because he recruited me. He said, hey, saw you running. You want to help out with our cross-country team guys. And, you know, that was my first real opportunity to just write cross-country training and periodization of training for a program. And it was invaluable because we got some guys, you know, to do well to PR. But, you know, it's NAI high school, really small. It was a startup program, so no one was really high level. Actually, then, like, the next opportunity was at University of Portland as an assistant coach with Rob Connor, 
and that bike came by way of me just talking Rob into it for a year. Essentially, every time I saw RC, I'd say, hey, dude, when are you gonna get me out? When are you gonna let me coach? When are you gonna let, get me over to Portland, or University of Portland? Da -da 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 -da. And it was just, every meet I went to, every time I saw him, just kind of, you know, uh, tethering the fire a little bit, just adding a little fuel to it. And eventually that memory gave me a call. I said, all right, hey, we got a spot for you. Come on over, we're making it up just for you. You know, it wasn't something that was posted online and I applied to, you know, the University of Portland and my resume was shining better than everyone else's. Like, no, it was, he knew me really well. My wife had went there, so she, he knew her as well. And it was just one of those things. And then so on and so forth down the road to, you know, two years later going to Portland State. Wife and I knew we wanted to live in Portland. I didn't want to move. That opportunity became available. And it was again, just because I had a relationship with the head coach where we were both coaching high school way back when, simultaneously. So he, he and I are kept from the same cloth and in the same community and knew each other. You know, it, it wasn't necessarily because I was coaching and writing these workouts for or saying well I recruited these people to the University of Portland this or that it was just I was confident I knew what I was doing you know but I had the relationship and exactly the same thing with all the postgraduates and developmental postgraduates I work with it was never a go out and recruit them it was they come up to me and say hey John you know you have opportunity you have space to coach this person or that person or coach me or coach this and it's like yeah I have some space and time let's do that and also the post-collegiate clubs that I coach too. Now, it was never a, I'm gonna to apply to be the head coach of Team Athena or the Jacuzzi Boys. It was them coming to me and saying, hey, you're in the community, you're doing really well, you know, you have all these relationships, all these people, we know you, this and that, and so on and so forth. So, you know, you might be listening to this as a young coach and being like, oh my gosh, it's the, the game's rigged. How do I ever get, you know, move forward? It's actually just being super invested in your community, being passionate, treating people with dignity, you know, and knowing your stuff, because a lot of good people, a lot of good coaches know their stuff, they know their X's and O's, but it's knowing how to work with people and be happy for other people's success. I think that's the biggest thing sometimes we get in the competitive sphere, we're just so focused on our own success, our own agenda. Oh man, I just coached a state champion. Everyone's gonna notice that it was me who coached the state champion. No, because every other coach is worried about the kid they're trying to coach as a state yep. champion, or they're, or they're worried about the kid they're trying to coach as the conference champion. They're not going to necessarily notice. There's actually an article out in the New York Times recently that said, that showed that we overestimate how much other people care about our life, yep. what we're doing. Exactly. And it's like it, it, the whole perpetuation of social media has kind of created this uh, confirmation bias about that. Like, oh, I put this content up on Instagram or Twitter and someone retweets it and likes it, that must mean a lot of people are seeing it. No, usually the people who retweet or like my things are just my friends. <laughs> <laughs> it stops there. It stops right there. You know, people that I know that I hang out with in a, a real yep. setting. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. And I, I think that's, a, you know, one of the big misnomers when, when coaches get in there. It's, it's, it's almost like... It's called the. It's like a stepping stone. Like people think, like, oh, I'm gonna coach this guy, this right. this team, the state champ, or I'm gonna coach this this kid to the national meet, and right. then people are gonna be like, oh, look at that kid, that guy, he's doing a great job, but you know, move him up the ladder. Yep. I mean, they see yep. it as the stepping stone yep. ladder. Yeah. And I think it's that's the the complete wrong approach to take. Yeah. I think it. I think where you, every opportunity I've gotten. And every opportunity, hopefully I will get, is it's just this, 
I'm doing cool stuff that I want to do, passionate about it. Keep your ego out of it. Yeah. And just exactly. develop people. Mm-hmm. And eventually you'll get taken noticed and get whatever job or whatever you want to do. Like I, there's, especially within the college ranks, there's this big, I mean, if you go on Let's Run uh, message boards, which everyone secretly does. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> um, and you go to the, you know, NCAA college job. Job opening thread. Uh, opening yes, thread. Yes, yes. It's like the biggest thread there is. Yeah. And you know that's all college coaches or potential college coaches all trying to swarm in there and trying to see like oh, what's open like what's yeah. what's gonna get right. what's gonna be the next thing and I think that's the uh, you know that that approach to to coaching or life or running isn't isn't the right one to take no I mean you get a lot in college coaching you get the journeyman coach who all right, I'm going to move up the ladder. I'm going to go from NAI to D2 and then D1 mid-major and then hopefully get to Power 5 or something. Yeah. And you think that's the progression. If I show and I you know, coach high-level conference champions or school record holders or national champions at those smaller levels, that will then translate to higher-level uh, respect and opportunity yeah. to open up. You know, the reality of it is... is it, it does. It simply doesn't work that way. What it, it works with you having a clear sense of what you want out of your coaching. And this is Steve and I talk about this offline a lot um, recently. It's you know we're involved in so many sp- sectors. We've coached high school all the way up to post collegiates and Olympians. At a you know we're blessed to do so just through relationships at a young age. Um, and it's like, well, where is the most valuable place? Where do you know we want to be? independently or you know and professionally moving forward and that's where you have to think critically at a young age of you know there's no real difference between coaching someone in the SEC and coaching someone in the Sunbelt Conference if your goal and aim is to be development development of people now if your goal and aim is to have this ego and say oh well I only coach 146 800 meter guys okay there's a big difference um, and you know we hope that the people listening to this podcast are people who fall in the former category where it's more about person person to person athlete you know and holistic development rather than just simply this is a business we were you know talking earlier about college coaching and some people have this attitude like well this is a business well a business is something that makes money and makes revenue in your you're in you stay in business because you're making money you know, there, last time I checked, collegiate coaching at any level in track and field and cross country does not make money. So you can't say this is a business. It's actually, it is a, you know, currency or a way of life of developing people, developing athletes. So I think that shift has to happen in some way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, as this next wave of young coaches get into the game. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I think the business mentality. Uh, especially at the college uh, level, is very easy to fa- it's easy trap to fall into yes. because you you sit there and as a college coach you have like oh you know I have this many scholarships like this is my currency to use and like if I pay this kid you know fifty uh, percent then he's my kid for the next you know four years to control and all that stuff and I'm gonna squeeze as many points out of them as possible because points is like the return on investment you right. get. Yep. And that model, I think, is completely broken. Yes. Like, it's when you take a step back, and I know we've talked about this a lot, but when you take a step back, it's almost like, all right, what is track? Yeah. Like, 
how big a deal is it actually? Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it's our life. It's our livelihood and all that stuff. But in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's track and field. Like, we're trying to, de- especially at the college level, we're like, we're trying to develop kids, um, A, to run faster, but also to be better people and give them a foundation to, to um, succeed in life. And I think that's, that's, what it, that's what it's about. I mean, it might sound a little idealistic, but, you know, in my view, it's, it's like I always say, like, and hap- a happy athlete is always going to be a faster athlete. Like, if you could have the perfect training, absolutely perfect, but they're, if they're not content in their life and they're not enjoying it, they're not going to run fast. And that's how I see college development is, like, I want to develop this athlete, okay? And we're not going to have this kind of cutthroat scholarship war where it's like, ah, oh, you, you produce or else I'm going to... I'm gonna dot. Yeah, I mean yes. that's that's what it is. Yeah. I mean it's the sad reality of yes. of college sports, which I think, you know, maybe since we're talking about young coaches, is is sometimes they don't understand or young athletes don't understand, and then they get into the business and right. they're like, they fall into that same pattern. And maybe if anything out of this this podcast, maybe we uh we uh, dissuade somebody from falling into that same pattern. Right. And maybe we're a little too altruistic as yeah, well. I that, mean, that's you know, true. We, we, we are. Young, yeah, and, young and altruistic. Yes, yeah, Idealist. I mean, so, I mean, again, everyone wants to live a successful life. Everyone wants to live a life you know, where they feel confident in what they do. And the reality is, though, there's just so much, um, you know, so many people out there in the competitive sector, in the competitive space that, you know, I mean, if you go through, I don't think any college coach in the Division One ranks can name all the Division One conferences. I mean, there's a lot that you never heard of, like Ohio Mid Valley Conference. I mean, I've never, never the Missouri, you know, Upper Appalachian <laughs> Conference. I mean, those conferences are out there and they exist, and you have great people doing good things who are really smart at what they do and exquisite coaches, exquisite athletes, and you know, it's all about at the end of the day, understanding why you're in the space you're in or the location you're in and what you're doing, you know, and why that's of value and your personal moral return on investment and the passion you have for it. I mean, as we're just as hyped as we are about track and field and cross country, there's a community just as excited about swimming, another community just as excited about volleyball. You know, all these things when we say kind of in our little silo world that we forget that there's other you know, disciplines of excellence. I mean, and that's ultimately what we're trying to accomplish, right? Is you're trying to inspire excellence and teach people to live a life of excellence. And we call it, we call it Turning Pro based off um, Stephen Pressfield's book, Turning Pro, where you're not turning pro to be a professional athlete after school. You're turning pro to be a professional at what you do. Yeah. You know, whether that's being a um, physical therapist, a dentist, a businessman, uh, you know, or a businesswoman, or a startup of a company, you know, owner of a coffee shop, whatever, like you want to have that professional mindset that you're going to deliver the best you every day as best you can, regardless if you're a little sick, a little tired, a little hungover, a little this, a little that. And when you understand that, then that holistic standpoint allows you to achieve a lot more. I mean, most of the athletes I've worked with have been athletes that there's not a heavy degree of scholarship invested in them, so they all want to be on the team. They Bingo. all want to be there. They are choosing to spend three to four hours a day 
and choosing to go to track meets all weekend. Not because they got full rides, but because they said this is really, really cool and really valuable to me. And when you have that type of culture and community where you know people are there because they want to be there instead of because they have to be there because of this neo servitude, then you know you're able to create a culture that thrives. And I think Ultimately, I keep telling people it's not about recipes and X's and O's, it's about culture creation. And if you can create a culture in whatever team environment or whatever environment your coaching practice exists in, then that culture is self-perpetuating. Steve and I were talking earlier before we got online here and said, you know, we're ultimately always trying to coach to independence, coach to, so we have to be coach less, less micromanaging, you know, less influence and just say, hey, we want you guys, hey, what do you, you know, some of my post pages, I don't even know what they do on the easy days. <laughs> I say, hey, you ready to go? You ready to work out today? And they're like, yeah, I recovered. I'm recovered, feel fresh. Say, okay, well, what did you do last couple days? Oh, I ran eight miles easy. Oh, you know, yesterday I did a double with a couple strides. Okay, great. I'll see you at the track in an hour. Yep. You know, I, I, to segue into another topic, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of micromanaging. Right, so, you know, one of the big things for young coaches, I think, is you have this perception that if I'm gonna be a great coach, I have to be in control of A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's like I'm I'm the expert in everything, yeah. so I'm gonna control like exactly yeah. what they do. You have to have 800 milligrams of ibuprofen. You have yeah. to take 20 grams of protein within a half hour it, you have to make sure you get 96 ounces of fluids within the next 45 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly it's it's like the the medical prescription yeah. method yes. it's like this. And last time i checked there was no very few coaches who had a medical doctorate yes that's, that's, that one out there, that's that's very very true yeah. so you know and I, I think that's something that is very easy to fall into the trap of because as a young coach like you you grow up and you're like, oh, the X's and O's is what matters. Like, I'm going to nail this stuff and all these other things that matter. And this, this is what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to create the perfect training plan. And they're going to follow it to a T. And it just, it's not the reality. And I think what John and I are getting at is that I see coaching as, as, a, uh, as a progression to port, towards partnership. As, as you develop, like, my job relatively becomes easier and easier. Yes. In the sense that... If you've done your job well. Yes, if I've done my job well. Exactly. So I was giving John that the example earlier is that, um, you know, with some of my post-collegiate athletes, it's it's straight partnership. It's like, well, you know, they'll say, well, you know, I did this. I'm like, okay, good. You know, and they'll be like, well, you know, what do you think about doing this? I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Like, that, that's something we do. We'd probably do. Let's go Let's go ahead and do that. And it's that two-way street of of communication, but it's not... It's almost like progressing from the uh, the junior high dict- dictatorship all the way to uh, to the partnership model, where it's like this this give and take that that goes on. It's not like parenting. I mean, yep. when you're you know someone's young, they don't know the way of the world. You really you know you're hovering around them 24 seven to protect them. Say no, don't touch the stove. Stove's hot. When it's on, it will burn you. Don't do that. No, don't drink poison. Poison's not gonna help you live it's going to make you die like they yep. don't cross the street without looking both ways but when the kid gets to 18 19 20 as a parent that's kind of the you know accepted time in america where it's like all right now you're on your own go to college go do this figure it out make your own mistakes 
and you have to be okay with letting go. I've always, you know, said life is the art of letting go. Yep. And so many times we can't let go of, you know, either someone we're working with or perception of someone or these accoutrements or these material successes or whatever. And you have to realize it's like, at the end of the day, every relationship and every life is, is an unfinished symphony because we just don't know when and where and how that's going to end or if we pick back up a little bit later. So, I mean, again, as a young coach, a lot of what we thought was you do have, and we're not saying you don't need to know your XMOs, you need to know the XMOs, you need to know that, and that's what your early maturation should be invested in, is learning that stuff down pat. I mean, just as you would learn, you know, trigonometry, algebra, and, you know, pre-calculus, so that when you get to the place where you are in a calculus or advanced theoretical calculus, you have that fundamental knowledge. That is imperative. You know, we're kind of taking for granted that people have this or endowed with that. But then the next step is in just being compassionate, being kind, being a champion of other people's success, other coaches' success, other program success of, you know, and realizing the bigger picture that at the end of the day, right, if you've done your job to prepare an athlete really well, they need you a lot less. My favorite person you stand next to at a you know championship race or any race is Jerry Schumacher because Jerry Schumacher will not yell any instructions at athletes you know he'll stand way up in the stands and he's just evaluating kind of how they tactically execute that race it's not like oh no you gotta do this oh you gotta do that oh no no this. you know you hear that a lot like people yelling a little bit of instruction but lost in the fray of everyone else yelling or cheering on the on and it's like Jerry's philosophy is why even worry about that? Why even do that? If I if we've done our job, they'll know how to race and execute their race plan. All right, guys, we're going to end it there for today, and we're going to split this into a two-part series because me and John talked for uh, oh, over 70 minutes or so. So hopefully you enjoyed part one. Part two will uh, come out next week or in the next couple of days after you're hearing this. So as always, any comments, questions, suggestions, or gripes, just feel free to hit me or John up on uh, Twitter or any social media, which will be listed on my blog on scienceofrunning.com. As always, guys, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and more to come. Good coaching and uh, take care.